Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, uh, getting you set. In a few minutes, we'll get to our conversation that we had today with Nate Duncan. Great, great NBA voice, uh, Dunked On Podcasts. You know, you can subscribe to his network. It's uh, a really good investment. Does the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. I think that's a Locked On podcast, Andy. I believe so. Uh, yeah, I believe it is, actually. Yeah, and uh, also a host. He does a really cool thing on NBA TV where he and Danny LaRue, his podcast co-host, are sort of an alternate second screen um, for people watching the Monday night game on NBA TV, which on Monday actually is the Laker game. So if you're out of market particularly and you want to be able to, to access it that way, you can go through the, uh, the NBA app, um, League Pass, and do it that way. So we'll talk to Dan, uh, to uh uh, Nate Duncan here in a second. Um, I, we want to mention, though, too, tomorrow night, we're going to have a really, really cool show and a very timely show. Jordan Rodrigue and uh, Rich Hammond from The Athletic, the hosts, you know them, of the 11 Personnel podcast, are both going to be on with us tomorrow. And it's been a busy uh, few days for the Rams. I can't imagine we'll have anything to talk about. Well, I think it's going to take at least two people to parse through Sean McVay trying to talk around the question of whether or not Jared Goff is still the quarterback. Like Between Jordan, Rich, and the two of us, that's four people. It's almost enough to try to decode Sean McVay. Not quite enough, but almost enough because, my God, was that guy bending himself into a fucking pretzel trying to avoid just answering well, what I mean, should look- be – on paper, a simple question. It, well, it's one of these things where the answer that Sean McVay wants, which is, I don't, I would rather have a different quarterback, may not be the one that he gets. And so, you know, it, it's, is it putting Jared Goff, if you missed it on game day, he seemed to say that, you know, Jared is our starting quarterback right now. Um, and just in case there was any, any confusion at the sort of exit interview type things. He said, everything, everything, everyone uh, is subject to examination. Every starting position is up for grabs and so on and so on. So as you tweeted out, Andy, Aaron Donald, you're on notice. I mean, look, we're going to get into this tomorrow with uh, Jordan and Rich. So I don't want to go too far into my thoughts on Mm -hmm. this. I just feel like there's a way to answer these type of questions that come across far less convoluted if you're not I think the key is just say all the truth that you can as opposed to trying to avoid saying every bit of truth possible well I think that's I think how much much truth do you think is available in this moment (laughs) actually I think I'm okay tease for tomorrow I actually think what you can say in terms of answering this fairly straightforward with a fair amount of truth, but not all of it in a way that doesn't sound like you are desperately trying to avoid answering the question, isn't nearly as complicated as Sean McVay made it out to be. But I will save what that is until tomorrow with Rich and Jordan. But I've given this some thought, and I think he missed this in a way that, if nothing else, sounds less convoluted than what he did. Well, I mean, what it what it sounded like was that he didn't really like jerk off, but no, it's funny. We're talking. We'll we'll get into this tomorrow. That, and- that, by the way, for what it is worth, that is a separate issue mm-hmm. from the way I think you could answer the question. Also, too, it's important to remember these aren't blood oaths. Like these guys really should be more well, conscious. But, of, you can what makes what, it, what makes it unique is it's it's particularly in football and particularly with golf. There's it's not really it's it's not a it's not a question that exists in a vacuum. The Lakers the Lakers, the Rams really can't. Maybe they could trade him. They can't cut him. So um, but there's yeah. it's, it, the, the quarterback is just one of many things that are, are circulating around. Brandon Staley has moved across the uh the proverbial hallway to uh the, the Chargers and Raheem Morris, I guess, is the leading candidate. To become the new defensive he is coordinator, expected to become the uh, yeah. at this point he is expected to become the DC, and so you know we'll we'll get it, have that to talk about. But I, I'm really fascinated to find out like what that means for you know guys like uh, Jalen Ramsey had really talked at the candidacies of coaches on the staff like Aubrey Pleasant, the defensive backs coach. Like, what does it mean for the rest of that staff if these you know, which is a, a good staff if guys like that come in? John Johnson is 
believed to be the safety. John Johnson is believed to be a guy who could follow Staley to San Diego. And at the very least, even if he doesn't, the Rams might be able to play him. So all the stuff basically that I thought about the Rams last offseason going into this season in terms of turnover and how they could hurt the team and the depth and that they may be in trouble going forward. Now I'm going to be correct. <laughs> I was off by a year, but now I'm going to be correct. You know, it, we've learned a lot, uh, if nothing else, in these last four years, the the power of saying things enough until they eventually just become decided right. as true by a certain sect of people, if nothing else. Well, I mean, this time I could be correct. Maybe could be. this year they they fixed it well enough, but next year I could be right. Um, so what matters yeah. is that you're eventually right, even if, by the way, you are eventually sure. proved right after Sean McVay and all the current uh, members of this team are gone. Like everybody well, moved they, on. And like, and look, they could have won like three Super Bowls in the right. interim, but eventually they'll be bad. And I'll be like, I told you so. Exactly. Um, and I didn't say they'd be bad. I said they'd be very average and ordinary and, and, and all that. And they were better this year than I thought they would be. No question. Um, and lost to a team that was far superior and I think is going to win again this week. Um over the Tompas. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we'll, we'll get into all of this stuff tomorrow night with uh, Jordan Rodriguez. But in the meantime, uh, Lakers are getting themselves set up for a very big road trip that begins on Thursday in Milwaukee. And we had a chance today to speak with Nate Duncan. And with that in mind, we will bring you that conversation. Podcast dunked on Prime, NBA cast on Mondays. Thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. It's nice to meet you. I don't think we've ever actually met. Yeah, we were talking about that beforehand. If it was, it was just in passing at Staples Center when I was down in LA at one point. But thanks for inviting me on the show, despite your uh, the fact that we haven't actually met in person before. Yeah, you got to yeah. do at least three to four years inside Staples Center, Nate, before I'll actually make eye contact or talk with you. It's just <laughs> as one of the OGs, um, sort of, you know, the people patrolling that area. Th this is the aesthetic and the culture that I've set and I and I stand by it. Just remember, yeah, too, Nate, you're, you're allowed to make eye contact right now with Andy because it's a Zoom call. But if you ever meet him in person, don't. Don't do that. It's not not good. Not a good idea. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, uh, eye contact is kind of terrifying, isn't it? Like to just Because <laughs> like you you look at the other person's eyes, then you're like, are they looking at my eyes as well? Like, do I have are my eyes kind of bloodshot or something? Well, you have to figure out what to do with it. I mean, that that's the that's problem. That's the hard part. Making exactly. eye contact. It's... You know, if you know that you're truly just going to remain in passing, that's fine. But if there's going to be stoppage and then all of a sudden you have to act on that, that eye contact, it can be incredibly awkward. And sometimes it's just not worth making. When do I look away? What 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 am I allowed to do here? Yeah. Well, I also like, I can't. It distracts me from thinking of something to say as well. <laughs> if, if I'm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty awkward, too. I can barely even make eye contact with my wife, honestly. So. <laughs> well kudos yeah. to you for making it work that <laughs> <laughs> you two must be an adorable couple yeah well i mean we're, we're looking we're at sitting each other. next to each other we're, we're sitting next to each other watching the tv obviously so yeah. you know, why would we be making eye contact you, know, honey, you, you sound you sound married <laughs> I, I never make eye contact with my honey, wife when i look over at you and specifically don't gaze into your eyes <laughs> the, the love yeah. that permeates it's just wonderful um uh, that was a hell of a game last night, though, huh? I was, yeah, I was going to ask you. So, you guys, uh, you and Nate, I uh, do as much comprehensive work on uh, NBA games as anybody. Um, so, what, what I, I before we get to last night's game, I was curious what you thought before last night's game exposed the Lakers as the frauds uh, that they most surely are at this point in the season. Yeah, well, obviously, they were, had been the most consistent team in basketball so far. Part of that is because I think they've only had one COVID-related absence. That's obviously mm -hmm. got to play in an evaluation of any team. This year, I think Caruso is the only one who's missed time for them. So, And they obviously, with LeBron, with AD, they have a culture there. They are going to play hard defensively most of the time. And they just... They have so much confidence. I think Steve Kerr was talking about this beforehand. They're just They know how good their team is. They know how they want to play. And... Uh, especially in this wacky season, that's going to be enough to take care of most teams most times, even without going 
full throttle. I think maybe that caught up with them a little bit in the second half last night in terms of their effort level, particularly in the third quarter. But overall, they've been exactly what you would have hoped, you know, it's being 11 and four and best net rating in the league, playing at a 65 win type of pace so far in terms of their point differential. Yeah, a thing that Brian and I have talked about a lot over the course of the season, Nate, in terms of just that effort level that they're putting out or not putting out, depending on how you look at it, and by and large still winning games, when you look at contextually the reasons that they're doing it, you know, the short layover between the finals and the regular season starting, LeBron's mileage, the toll that's been on AD's body, the collective age of this team, they do flip a switch, but they don't feel to me like a team that tries to flip the switch and it, you know, last night notwithstanding, continually get gets bit in the ass for it because they're they they're not doing this because they're bored by the regular season the way we've seen with some defending champions in the past. I think they're doing this including, by the way, scores of Lakers teams. Right. I I, <laughs> I think they are doing this because they recognize it's a necessity and they're trying to do it in the most business like way possible, like the most professional way you can go about mailing in a season i think that's actually the way they're trying to do it <laughs> well they have so much quality depth as well uh, that you know lebron in particular i mean he doesn't have to get into the post and go kill people every time he doesn't he's had one of the biggest declines in his on ball usage in the nba now that they have shooter and they're just playing him fewer minutes uh, and they've got harold so they just have so many more offensive creators this year so they don't have to try nearly as hard on offense as they did previously and defensively they just have enough good personnel you've got new guys new blood i think really helps these championship teams as well someone like the soul coming in he wants to prove that he's still got it and that starting lineup has been awesome for them. So that Schroeder is playing for a contract. Montrose Harrell is playing for a contract. So they, they got new guys who are coming in, particularly off the bench or in these supporting roles, who are able to keep the level of intensity up, even if you are only getting kind of 75% LeBron and AD at this point in the season. Yeah, and it's funny too, because like this, the seven Monday, LeBron actually legitimately by, you know, 19, five, five and five, six, six, six of 16 from the floor, missed the shot at the end. That that was a legitimately subpar game from LeBron. He had the turnover, the travel, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but two travels. I've never seen that from him before to travel twice driving a closeout. That was and crazy. I thought they were and I thought they were the right call. I mean, everybody was sure. Lakers fans were annoyed because Draymond didn't get called for sliding his feet in the lane, but like that doesn't mean that LeBron didn't travel. He did. It was a travel. But you know, yeah, that, that Draymond play was weird. Star calls one day. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the Draymond play was weird because he uh, maybe it could have been a foul on Harold too because he put his foot underneath Draymond's foot and that's kind of what caused him to travel. So it, I think it ended up being a relatively fair result in the end on that one. A difficult play to call, but yeah. So I, you know, and LeBron, I didn't. The one thing I think I would say was encouraging though. I didn't think that their crunch time offense was bad. I think they just missed shots. Whereas and in a row last year. Yeah. And even in the playoffs, sometimes it was LeBron dribble for 20 seconds and then shoot that step back three going to his left. He really struggled shooting threes in the clutch last year in the regular season. So I thought their process was actually pretty good. They just couldn't knock down the open shots that were being generated in that fourth quarter. Uh, we're 15 games in right now. The Lakers are the best team in the West uh, as we talk right now. And Brian and I have been talking lately about relative weaknesses you know that all teams have but specifically with the lakers because i i feel like when you watch them play most of the issues that they ever really have are self-induced like turnovers being the biggest one like they are at their worst when they don't take care of the ball and usually these are turnovers that are just lack of focus laziness trying to do way too much but when they take care of the ball and they play you know reasonably well they often look unbeatable or you know on in term at least in terms of a series unbeatable when you've when you've been watching them what weaknesses again it can be relative or things that you would that you would be watching to try to develop over the course of the rest of the season what stands out to you well i think the biggest thing to me is going to be what is the rotation in the playoffs who can they really trust it for example Probably their best group in the playoffs last year was AD at center and Markeith Morris at the four. And Markeith Morris is playing like six minutes a game 
right now. And they've got Harrell. He's an awesome innings eater during the playoffs. Gasol, or I'm sorry, during the regular season. Gasol has is able to pass the ball, and they found this set with him in the corner where he's going to shoot it a little bit more from three. But it, he can maybe be an offensive liability, be a little slow defensively in the playoffs. Harrell really struggled defensively in the playoffs last year. I think he looks better now than last year, but that he can still be a liability there. Uh, you know, you also have some of these guys like Caruso who may not shoot it that well. And so just finding the right combinations out there for Frank Vogel, even with all the capable players they have, but also having the egos that they have in the playoffs when you're going against, I mean, really honestly, the Clippers and then maybe the Bucks or the Nets and maybe a full strength heat team are the ones that I think could possibly give them some trouble. You know, it's not, I'm a little worried, I guess I would say that they might not be stress tested enough in the first two rounds. And then they get into the series against the Clippers and it takes them four games to figure out who can play and who can't. And maybe they punt a game or two early in the series because of that. That's actually the biggest thing that, that I would say, I don't know. I have a few others, but what do you guys think of that? Well, you no, know, but it's an interesting, that was, it kind of leads into my next question that I was going to ask you is like, that's, it's, it's a good problem to have. Like, you know, we're so yeah. much better than everybody that people may how, not be. How are we going to adjust in the Western conference finals? Like right. these are like, really good problems. When we're finally yeah. tested, but that the West has not looked, I think quite as strong. There aren't a lot of, of, of crappy, just straight up awful teams. But, you know, Utah's played pretty well, but Denver's been uh, obviously a disappointment. Uh, the, the, you know, the Rockets have completely fallen apart, depending on what you believe about that. Phoenix got off to a great start, slowed down a little bit, and they're obviously not, you know, tested over the long term. It, it ha- you know, Portland is beat up now beyond belief. What what is what has gone wrong? I think, or in, in the West, or like, are there any of these teams that you expect to be the type of team that is playing at a high level that that bumps into that upper echelon of teams that maybe could push the Lakers, push the Clippers, and surprise people by getting to a conference finals? Well, I w- I would obviously expect the Clippers and Lakers to be right there at the end. Obviously, we thought that that was the case as well last year and, and it didn't end up happening we, but we've been promised this for like over a decade Nate. Like a while. some incarnation going back to 2006 um where yeah, the lakers yeah. and clippers were supposed to get that hallway series and the lakers blew their 3-1 lead against phoenix after the clippers had uh gotten rid of uh denver in the first round so like this, this goes back a while there was the lob city era the kobe power this has never coalesce the way it was expected to is this going to be the year nate is this going to be the year we are finally getting what we are promised <laughs> well i think so i mean as long as uh tim thomas isn't going to come uh, hit a three against the lakers uh, to, <laughs> to cause him to lose a, a 3-1 lead I, I think it'll be okay but yeah it's uh i mean i would think so obviously injuries can change any of that Sure. At a moment, LeBron and AD have been relatively durable. Kawhi and PG, you know, you, but obviously, if any one of those four guys goes down, then that changes the complexion of things immensely. And there's, you know, a decent chance. I mean, if you think about it, you know, even if only one of those guys has a, each one of those guys has like a 5% chance of being injured, well, there's four guys. It, it could happen. Um, the, as far as the team that could crash the party, I think the Dallas Mavericks clearly to me has the most upside okay so you're still in on them because they've been you know granted porzingis has been hurt they've had some guys in and out of the lineup the covid stuff but like you're you're still there on dallas oh yeah for sure i i think uh, porzingis looks okay physically uh, he uh, causes some real matchup problems for teams that want to play a traditional center and dallas uh, defensively they are one of the best in the league right now and i'm very interested to see they can throw a lineup out there with josh richardson dorian finney smith maxi kleba play those guys around Porzingis and Luca, And I think you could get a pretty decent defensive group. But I certainly, I certainly wouldn't favor them against either the Lakers or the Clippers. But I, I think th- in particular, they match up a little bit better with the Clippers now where you have more wing defense. They made that a priority in the offseason. And, you know, Luca's had a little bit of a rough start, but they haven't had anywhere close to their whole team so far. And I think uh, particularly given some of the struggles of Denver and... 
Portland and you know Utah, I just don't their perimeter defense is so suspect to me. I just don't think they can compete with the Lakers or the Clippers over the course of a full series. So I, I Dallas is the team to me that I think you really want to avoid if you're the Lakers or the Clippers. Not to say that they wouldn't be favored against them still. I, I want to get to the Clippers in a second, but I, I'm curious what you think about Phoenix, not necessarily as a team that could shock the Lakers. But just about their overall potential for the season, because they they were a team that I thought was a little bit tricky to figure out in the offseason, just because obviously adding Chris Paul matters a lot. But at the same time, you're talking about a team that has had like a decade's worth of chaos leading up to this season. You know, Devin Booker is a really good player, but he's never proved himself as part of a team that's playing at a particularly good level. Um, how How good do you think they can actually be this season? Well, I think a lot of it does depend on Booker. He's had a disappointing start to the season for me. I thought that when they went 8-0 in the bubble, and then just even in general last year when they had their good moments, he was a big part of why they were good. It was just when he was off the floor last year that was a, a big part of their struggle. Yeah, he's improved a lot as a, in ways that I think some people may not even recognize, like, a, like as an overall playmaker. I mean, he's, he's trying to become more than just a scorer. Yeah, I, I think so. Just but the scoring actually hasn't been that good so far, right? Th- this year, and he's also turning the ball over like crazy as well, which has been a big problem for them. And they've kind of gotten to the point that they were at, but with real good three point shooting from some of their supporting guys, Paul and Booker haven't really gotten going yet. Eaton hasn't gotten going yet either. I, I'm I'm just trying to figure out wh- which of their two units, on, like on what side of the ball, can they get to be elite. You know, they've got eight, and I think he's kind of, you know, a slightly below average defensive center. And then their backup center is basically either Kaminsky or Sharich. And, you know, you're going to be really small there. So being elite defensively, even though you have Mikhail Bridges, who's a really underrated guy, that's kind of hard to to see that happening. And so does it happen on offense? I think maybe that's more realistic. Uh, they've got Aiton's a good offensive center. Paul Booker, if those guys can get going a little bit more with the three point shooting they have, maybe that's how they get to really being, you know, a top five level of offense. And then I think they can be in the mix for, you know, getting home court advantage in the West. But I still, particularly on the inside, if they go up against the Lakers, I think they're going to get dominated there. It's it's interesting. Like all three, like the bubble stars, like the breakout bubble stars in the Western Conference, have all struggled a little bit. You know, Mitchell's shooting like forty two percent from the floor. It's been a rough go early for Jamal Murray, and you just talked about Booker. It that it, it really reinforces how hard it is to genuinely make the leap to not just do it at a moment, but do it at you know for uh, for an entire season. I mean, quite frankly, it's something that Paul George has kind of struggled and bumped up against going from that level where maybe you're trying to put Mitchell and those guys now into that next level up. Where he does it for forty games, but can't do it for seventy games. Like you know, what I'm saying, like, how much of their struggles do you think is related to the pressure that comes with it, the expectations going up more than they probably should have? What's up with those guys? Well, I think the biggest thing I would point to is just that this is a weird year. The bubble, you know, they everyone was really full go in the bubble. They everyone knew that this was going to be you know a two month sprint. At most, and there's a high intensity level. There's nothing to focus on except basketball. Now, I mean, for example, Devin Booker was five out of 21 last night, but his team hasn't played in a week. And so you've just got all these weird absences and issues. You know, Mitchell maybe hasn't faced that as much, uh, but Murray, I, I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive. So some of this was just, you know, the great shot making that took place in the bubble. But I do think that Devin Booker played at a solid, the all-star level last year. I think he, he's the one I would point to as the best of those three mm-hmm. guys, the most consistent over his career. I think he's going to get it going, but certainly you can fall into the trap of, Oh, this guy had an awesome playoffs. Now we're just going to assume that he's going to be great. And you know, all right, Jamal Murray shot 50% from three. Like it's not going to happen this year. So you do have to be a, a little bit careful about some of these breakout performances to where you want to see it happen year after year and just automatically projecting that, all right, this guy's young. He was good in the playoffs last year. Now he's going to be like this all the time. That could be a little aggressive sometimes. Which which team, if you had to pick one of these, you, know, you mentioned Dallas, you know, particularly as they really, really uh, relate to the Clippers. If you had to pick the one team that matchup-wise that isn't the Clippers, that matches up well against the Lakers, who is it? Relatively well. Assuming there is one. 
Yeah, assuming there is one. And I, I think, hmm, it's tough because the Lakers just have so much athleticism and size. And so Oddly, that just it's Sacramento. <laughs> it's the Timberwolves. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, are we still we're still limiting our talk to the West here at this point? Yeah, and we're because I want to, we're going to get to the East because the East is I think super fascinating now. All of a sudden, post Kyrie or post uh, Harden trade with you know Kyrie and those guys together. Uh, but yeah, just just looking at the West before we get to the finals. Yeah, I do think that it's Dallas. The Lakers don't have that one awesome perimeter stopper that you would look at that's a great guy to throw on the Luka Doncic. I think, you know, LeBron can probably handle him in ISO, but they don't want him doing that all game. And you can always set a screen there as well. And the way Porzingis can space him out, if you put him at center, then it's going to be tough to play Gasol. It's going to be tough to play Montrez Harrell, probably Harrell. I mean, we saw that Harrell just got completely destroyed by Luka in pick and roll last year. and. So, and then they can do a decent job of protecting the rim as well. They have some versatility defensively on the perimeter. I think, you know, Kleba is a decent matchup for AD. No one's going to totally shut him down. And they have enough guys that LeBron isn't going to just be able to plow through them as easily. And so I I think, and they could maybe, if Markeith Morris doesn't have it, and if Kyle Kuzma doesn't have it in the playoffs, and then you can't play Harrell or, Gasol defensively, maybe that could put the Lakers into a little bit of difficulty. But uh, again, I, I, I'm very curious to see what it looks like with Dallas trying to defend the Lakers. All right, the, the Clippers are playing better than anyone in the West, other than the Lakers. What before we get into, I, I want to talk about the culture of the Clippers because that's something they've been talking about. What stands out to you in terms of the way they're playing right now? that's specific to under Ty Lue as opposed to how they've been doing it under Doc? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it, it can be instructive to go look at the last time that Ty Lue got hired and replaced a coach on a successful team, which was in Cleveland. And the adjustments that he made immediately were to go more offensively focused. Under David Blatt, for example, in Cleveland, they were playing Mozgov and Tristan Thompson together. They're a, a pretty good defensive team, but they weren't maximizing things on offense. And so Ty Lu said, hey, we're going to put great shooting around LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. That's going to be our focus. Those are our best groups. And maybe our defense isn't going to be as good. And that's exactly what's happened now with the Clippers uh, as well. I mean, they are shooting the crap out of the ball at the moment. They're like 41% from three as a team. They're getting up a lot more three-pointers as well, but they've struggled a little bit defensively. And uh, now when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both on the floor, they've been better defensively. That's been a a big key. And their second unit, uh, the players that they acquire kind of fit with Lou's philosophy. They got Lou Williams. They got Kennard. uh, So so they're not going to really be a, a fantastic defensive group on that second unit. But I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me is they're just, they're bombing it a little bit more. They're a little more high powered. Yeah. Last year with, with Doc Rivers, they also had Harold. They're getting to the line a ton. They're working into the mid-range more, more ISO stuff. They're moving the ball more now. I think Nick Batum has really helped with that. So the ball movement and the three-point shooting, uh, and then just not quite being as good defensively, admittedly, with some different personnel uh, is another thing that you enforce. Well, you know, like to, to me, that's okay, especially in the regular season, because sure. you know, when, if you're a team with chemistry issues, offense is fun. Offense brings people together. You have the big moments. Guys hit three pointers. You're, you know, everybody's getting their shots up and all these other things. And you know, it's 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 going to be hard to be a bad defensive team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George fully engaged. You and know, Patrick the, Beverly, Patrick Beverly, the Serge Ibaka. Like these guys are too good to be bad defensively. Maybe you're six instead of four or whatever it might be. But when the playoffs come, there's a, I have every confidence that they'll be able to be good. But like they need that that team was short on joy by the end of the year, and yeah, it makes sense to me to add some of it. I I, I said this in the summertime. I mean, Doc's got plenty of gravitas, and obviously he's an, a, a very an excellent and um, accomplished coach in the NBA. I think Ty Lue's a better coach. I mean, maybe he doesn't have quite the same voice as Doc, but it's not like he's a patsy, and he's way more progressive. I think on both sides, you know, than than Doc is. I think they upgraded by going from Doc to Ty. 
Yeah, I think so. Particularly when you look at it from an emotional perspective, they obviously just needed to turn the page from that previous era. You mentioned the chemistry issues, and it seems like Harrell and Lou Williams were, were and Beverly to some degree were the big ones who were having issues with Paul George last year. And so I, I do think uh, Ty Lu I think has dealt better with the drama. You know, certainly he had plenty of that in Cleveland over the years. I mean, he's been the one coach who really has had the best relationship with Kyrie Irving over the years, it, it seems like. So I do think it, Doc is maybe a little bit better suited for your high power or, or, or your try hard underachiever type of teams. You know, even going back to his Orlando days uh, and his Boston teams were more sort of self starting teams with veterans who all wanted to come together and play together. And so, uh, and I think there's plenty to be said for Doc being a little too rigid in the in the postseason, trying to stick with stuff that's not working that well. And they've had some massive collapses under him. And so uh, I'm not. I don't think that Lou is a better coach than Doc in every situation. But I think for this team, I am in mm-hmm. agreement. Well, I mean, Ty Lou, you go back to his playing days with Kobe and Shaq. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who learned what it takes to to navigate big personalities on elite teams that yeah. don't get along. I mean, he he has been on both sides of this and I think can relate well to this from a you know bunch of different angles, which is why he could very well be a, a really good coach for the Clippers moving forward. I mean, it, it's funny with, with Doc because he obviously is, you know, he's a, he's a great voice and I think in a lot of ways a really great leader and he deserves a ton of credit for being the guy that helped the Clippers, you know, shepherd through the Donald Sterling fiasco and and move forward. And, you know, he, I think his presence there really mattered. But the reality is he didn't really do anything for that team where, you know, the, the team didn't move any further under him than they did Vinny Del Negro. Like, it, and if you actually, yeah. if you look at Vinny Del Negro's years when he had Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, and, you know, he had a legitimate chance of being a good team, he, Basically, did the exact same thing Doc did. We and actually it, learned, we learned that uh, on at Vinny Del Negro on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you visit vinnydelnegro.com, a website I right. just made up. His Instagram find- live feed is all about this. Yeah, and I mean, it's not to say that Vinny Del Negro is a better coach than Doc or anything, but it just my point is just sometimes things run their course, and it frankly it seemed like that was going on with Philadelphia with Brett Brown, and, you know whether. Doc ultimately ends up the coach that they need to take steps forward. Like it seemed like they they needed a new voice in that locker room. They needed a, a fresh set of eyes and vision. I mean that that happens sometimes. It's hard to keep one guy in place for a long time. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, certainly statistically, they didn't do any better under Doc. I think it, it certainly it felt different. I'd say the biggest thing that Doc did was empowering DeAndre Jordan to become an all-NBA level of center, admittedly at a time when the center position was down. But, you know, Vinny Del Negro was, like, not even playing DeAndre Jordan at the end of games, right? Like, he was going with a washed-up, you know, whatever, 35-year-old Lamar Odom uh, at the end of games for that Clippers team. So I, I do think that Doc increased their upside by really empowering Jordan to be a, a good player. So... And and again, you know, he certainly I think did a much better job than Vinny Del Negro. Oh, he's a better coach. He, again, he's a better yeah. coach. I'm not I'm not yeah. trying to argue otherwise. My point is just for all of the celebration of Doc, and I, I don't even think it's undeserved. Yeah. I'm just saying they they didn't really progress in ways that were expected. I mean, they they still never made the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and obviously they had that collapse uh, against Houston in 2016, and, and I think there is a an element there. I mean, you remember years ago, Shaq called Stan Van Gundy a master of panic, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a little bit of that element for Doc that they just had so many collapses that he wasn't able to really turn around and be a, a steadying voice for. But I think he's perfect for Philly because he's got enough gravitas to where he can come in and say, "All right, I've won a championship. I've coached all these stars." Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, here's what you need to do to get to that level. These are young stars where he can help them to change because he has that kind of gravitas, which is, you know, that's the only way the Sixers can continue to improve. Uh, and Embiid has been awesome so far. Yeah, are they this legit? Year. 
Yeah, are they legit? Because you know Seth Curry is obviously missing time. They they the COVID protocols have really wrecked with their you know messed with their roster, and they're still I, I think on Monday nine and five something like that. Are, are they? Because I they're the Eastern Conference for me of of Denver, where I've had real estate on Denver Island for years, and it finally paid off last year, and now it's devaluing. Um, but is is this the year that Philly actually does? breakthrough in ways that we've all kind of been waiting for for the last couple no <laughs> <laughs> you want to think that over no, Nate, or are you pretty confident I, there I, I, well I, I, it's something i've thought about a lot is we're not going to get anywhere nate if you pussyfoot around these answers i mean yeah, like I just mean, really need something <laughs> definitive please a yes or a no oh, okay well now that could change if their roster changes so I'll, I'll leave that open but i think they're just not gonna be good enough offensively ultimately and maybe not versatile enough defensively either because it's just you saw it last year in the playoffs you see it at the end of a lot of these games where they just ben simmons is not gonna be able to create offense in the half court like that's he's averaging 12 points a game it's just not like that's not good enough if they if he's gonna be their second best player and their second best offensive player he just has to do more than that you can't so if you're gonna put the ball in the hands of shake milton or tyrese maxi at the end of games to run pick and roll because Ben Simmons can't do it, and then he has to just stand on the baseline and muck up your spacing. Like that's just not that powerful. And Embiid is an unbelievable post player, but you—it's just too difficult to get him the ball and really have him dominate. It is very, very difficult to have a great offense built around a center unless that center is Nikola Jokic, who can handle the ball out top and right. distribute to everyone. He's such a unique force. Whereas Embiid just even getting him the ball in the post in his preferred spots, it's really difficult, particularly when you're not worried about the guys who are passing it to him driving by you either and scoring. So I think ultimately I don't trust their offense, particularly at the end of games in the playoffs. And then Embiid, you know, is he really able to get out on the floor and defend the, like you really, I think the other thing that it was obvious to me last year is you have to have defensive versatility. And once you get into the second round of the playoffs and beyond, you can't just play a drop coverage defensively. You got to be able to switch. You can throw in some zone. You got to be able to put two on the ball. You can't let the other team get too comfortable with what you're doing defensively. And I've just, while Embiid is a wonderful regular season defensive player protecting the rim, I'm not sure that he can play a different style. Right. Is Simmons? It's interesting when you were talking before about the the limitations of Simmons when he when he's running an offense just because he's not the type of scoring threat that you typically associate with, you know, an all NBA player that Ben Simmons has been like, is is he just, is he, I guess the, the tipping point for the value of being able to generate offense as a force versus the value of being able to create your own, because he's fifth in the league right now uh, with eight assists per game. And he, and he's obviously really good at finding guys. He's always been an extremely good playmaker. So like, is he, does he, I guess, just sort of embody that, that limit in terms of, you know, the value of being able to create for others at a high end, but not being able to offset what you don't do for yourself. Yeah. And I'm not sure that he's able to create for others. I mean, the assist totals are assist totals, but you know some of that is he's just dribbling up top, and someone comes off a screen and they throw it to him for, uh, you know, he's not necessarily creating the opening. Some of that's in transition where he's obviously a, a massive force there. But to say in the half court, uh, the possession breaks down, we're going to throw it to Ben Simmons, and he can create a good shot for us either for scoring himself or setting someone else up. I mean, he just doesn't have that in his toolbox. He he can't shake guys off the dribble. He's not a great finisher at the rim despite his physical tools. He doesn't want to get fouled. He obviously can't shoot outside of the immediate basket area. And so when you're just – the list of things that he can do to create a shot for your team is just very, very limited. And so, like, all things being, you know, setting aside the other aspects of the deal, draft picks, whatever might have been, would you have flipped him for Harden? I think I would have if it were just that straight up, I think – once you start ahead to throw in something else as well, mm -hmm. then it might get a little bit more difficult, particularly because what else is out there for Ben Simmons is another question. Do, like, could they eventually get Bradley Beal or could they, is there some other star that they could make? And I think they want to at least see what it looks like 
with this group, but I mean, he was in the deal, but, and I think like they were going to give up more than that even, but obviously Tillman Fertitta was not particularly happy with that. And I think the Nets package ultimately ended up being better with all those unprotected picks anyway. That's a really good point, actually. I've heard uh, Kevin Artivance make that um, on different hoop collectives. Like the idea that if Philly's going to move Ben Simmons, whether you think that's a good idea or not, that they would only do it for James Harden would be bad work by their front office. Like if you're going to put a player of Ben uh, Ben Simmons's talent you know, level, oh, maybe. I might have, but you know what? Easy mistake to make. Very no, easy. Mistake first to make. of all, Ben Ben Kingsley is a damn good actor, and I believe he's knighted. So if you're going to trade him, it needs to be for a really good package as well. Like you, you don't just move Ben Kingsley for the sake of doing it, just for some you know shiny new guy off in the corner. But like Ben Ben Simmons is, he's got value around the league. So the idea that Philadelphia if he really was being shopped, would box box themselves into a corner of just Houston seem kind of premature. I think, I think you're raising a really good point. Yeah, and obviously you want to be careful of just shopping your second best player to every team in the league. I think it's it's more that a certain opportunity becomes available and then you might consider moving but just, it. Like the, idea, the idea that they would, if they decided for whatever reason, that Simmons and Embiid. This this is the first, only, and last opportunity to right. trade Ben, and and it's yeah. and it's just not going to work. That you would they would automatically just be okay, all in on Harden, without really taking a look around, you know, about his value around the rest of the league. It just wouldn't be good front office work. Yeah, and also you're kind of you're limiting your options as well. I think I disagree with them, but I think they're they believe there's a chance that that pairing can work to go deep in the playoffs now with the team around them that makes more sense. Let's not forget Ben Simmons wasn't even in the playoffs last year because he was certainly right. conveniently something that's forgotten. And so you are sort of foreclosing the option that it could work, right? Because you could always move Ben Simmons after this year if you decide, hey, this pairing just doesn't work out. Um, I, but it, it kind of gets back to just existentially, like, why are you owning the team? Why are you even in this business? Because with Simmons and Embiid together, you're going to probably win 50 games for the next five years unless one of them gets hurt, which could happen. And you may not have that championship equity, whereas Harden, you know, he's probably got maybe a year or two left at this level. And then you either got to pay him $50 million a year going into his mid thirties, which will be a problem or you lose him or he's just not that good anymore. Probably maybe multiple of those things could end up being the case. And so you're kind of like, well, are we going to go all in for the next year and a half? And yeah, we have a greater chance of winning the championship in those two years, but then we're kind of done. Or are you going to say, right. you know, we'll hold on to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and we'll still be a good team in this market. And maybe we could get lucky one year. We could fill in some more pieces around them or Tyrese Maxey turns into a star. So it's, it's a, it's a difficult decision, and it gets back to: Do you want to be a good team for a long time, or do you want to be maybe a great team for two years? That's you know kind of an ownership level decision, almost. By yeah, the way, Ben Kingsley still just seventy seven years young. I think and, he's got and, a lot of years ahead of him. And let's be honest, dead ringer for Ben Simmons. Like, if <laughs> yes. they walked into the room together, I'm not sure I'd be like, oh, ben, no, sorry, Ben Kingsley. Right. So I'm I'm just saying you don't you don't trade Ben Simmons just uh, on a whim, and you don't trade Ben Kingsley either. I, um, I, I like how uh, that just covered up my face completely, but you can still see you guys. We don't. We, well, so I mean, by a wise really, move. if you're sensitive about it, I mean, we can try to move <laughs> you around. I think there are ways to do this. I mean, I mean, we now it's covering me. You feel better, Nate? <laughs> you're and a technical was, wizard. It, it was something of a rude treatment abilities. of the uh, of the guest. You know, I, I, when it was we asked, intentional, but you know, but when we asked Danny about this, he never told us you were a prima donna like that. So um, I, <laughs> I, I, I guess we probably should have. Uh, That's you, right, man. It, the, the legendary Mazer Rackham can cover my face up anytime. <laughs> <laughs> you um, you mentioned Brooklyn earlier uh, when we were kind of in Milwaukee. We obviously the Lakers going Thursday to play the Bucks. Um, they've got Boston on this trip. They've got Philly. Um, what when you look at the the teams that could compete with them? We went through the West. Um, what about the East? Like you know, we've seen a little bit of of Brooklyn, but not the three of those guys together. Milwaukee has obviously been very good so far this year. And Boston, I think has played pretty well without Kemba Walker. So uh, what over there do you think, how do you, first of all, how do you think that conference shakes out? And then what might that look like against the West? I picked, 
I picked the Nets before the season, and part of that was based on the idea that they could make a trade to shore up their defense. And obviously, the trade that was made exactly was, what they did was the exact opposite. And maybe the loss to Spencer Dinwiddie is something that pushed them in that direction as well. I mean, but realistically, what really pushed in that direction is that's what Kevin Durant wanted them to do, and he hilariously could be a free agent in a year and a half. And so. Harden has looked good. He's getting back into shape now compared to where he was at the start of the year. He was kind of mailing it in by the end oh. in Houston. And <laughs> so, I, I I mean, they're going to be unstoppable offensively. I mean, they're going to be – it's basically probably them and the 16-17 Warriors as, you know, the two most talented offensive teams of all time right now. But that 16-17 Warriors team was a top-five defense as well. And watching them last night, you really – wonder how they're going to come up with a way to stop other teams. And maybe what that way is, is we're just going to park DeAndre Jordan right under the basket the whole time. Just try and contest you enough at the rim. You can bomb threes on us if you want. You can get whatever you want from the mid-range in pick and roll, and we're just going to outscore you at the other end. Um, you know, they still have a few assets left, maybe some second-rounders or the buyout market to shore up defensively a little bit. But, I mean, they've got four of their five starters really are not defensive players at this point in their career. And so uh, I'm, uh, I mean, they're so going to be a consider, lot of fun to watch. You consider KD to be decent on that because he, before the injury, when he certainly, when he wanted to be, he could, he could be an effective defensive player. Yeah. I think it's at age 32, he's also lost some weight, which I think is really good for him mm -hmm. uh, compared to where he was. His conditioning looks a lot better, but he also is, not going to be able to fight as hard inside or on the boards. I don't think you can really play him at center the right. way he is right now. And he hasn't provided the same level of rim protection that he was providing at times in Golden State. And he really struggles to get over a screen. We saw that at the end of the game last night where Chris Middleton was just walking into 15-foot pull-ups whenever he wanted to with KD trying to guard him. But you make a good point that he's going to really need to step up there. And maybe he can do enough at the end of games. I think he's at least always guarded LeBron James pretty well. Uh, which is something that uh, just with, with his length, he can cause LeBron a, a few problems. And so I, it's just it's just going to be a question of getting enough there, I, I think, uh, against this Nets team. And also, you know, you would think that if you can put two of Kyrie, Harden, and Durant on the floor at all times during the playoffs, that they should be able to hurt teams when both units go to their benches. So I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm fascinated to see how it's going to work out. I have, can't tell you that I necessarily have them as the favorites. So I think you can argue maybe that given the way Kyrie was playing, if he was going to come back and keep playing this well, that you know maybe they aren't necessarily better this year. But I could easily be wrong on that. I mean, they could find this alchemy and be the best offense of all time and just good enough defensively, and that gets them to the finals. Oh, speaking of that alchemy, what, what if anything do you think is going to be the most complicated part of getting Durant? Uh, Irving and Harding, Harden on the same page offensively and, ma and making that cohesive? I think Irving's role is probably going to be the most difficult one. And it, because Harden and, and Katie, I think they fit together pretty well. And we saw that the other day. Harden they, can they certainly look good uh, in Milwaukee, against Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one. And then I think getting Harden to be more of a threat off the ball just as a spot-up shooter, just even getting him to like move into an open Dude, space have, and somebody else drive. Have there ever been a, a player of his caliber that looks more just outwardly bored and double middle fingers when he is playing off the ball than Harden? Like I, I like I expect him to like take out a magazine when he doesn't have the ball and just start like <laughs> that. I've never seen anybody look that disinterested when he doesn't have the ball. Yeah, one of my favorite little media narratives this was a, a common theme in the hardens houston years it was like oh no they actually want him standing at half court like that that's good we'll let everyone else play four on four it's like no actually if he's standing at half court you can help off of him you're actually playing four on five it, it's, well, that's that's next level it's so yeah. na nakedly out like naked outward disinterest when he does not have the ball right Sorry, what was that? I was just saying he's on his he's gonna be on his best behavior for at least a little while. So like some of that stuff, yeah. you know, and then last night. <laughs> last night he looked disinterested when he didn't have the ball. That just might be his face, though. That's like <laughs> I think it's his body too. 
<laughs> it, it's not moving. The, the, the body is not moving at, at all. Gives you a real. Oh. It also gives you a better look at the body and like what it looks at right now when it's not moving. Yeah. He's getting back into into shape a, a, a little bit more than he was the, to he was start. In a um, shape. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think I mean you guys saw it last year up close with the Lakers where they double team him, he gets off the ball, and then you can just run back into the play for having double teamed him, and he's just he's not going to try and get it back. He's not going to try and move. You know, if you compare him, uh, Steph Curry is one of the greatest off ball players ever. But if you compare what he does to Steph Curry and like how uh, the Lakers struggle to contain him at times, you know, just because he never stops moving, and James Harden is quite the opposite, of course. Yeah, I imagine those uh, those mileage uh, things that they get, you know, with the the trackers that they have in the arenas. James Harden is below uh, Steph Curry in the amount of running that they do during a game. Uh, well That's below. Correct. Yeah, he might, he might be below Mark Gasol. <laughs> like it's, a, it's shocking how little that dude moves when he is know. not got well, Big's, Big's got to run a lot more though. Big's usually you got to get from you know basket to basket on a lot of possessions, sure. whereas Small's you, you know running the floor, you can just go from three point line to three point line a, a lot of times. Yeah, they got to move more within the half court, but. Um, all right, uh, Nate Duncan, you know him from the uh, Dunked On podcast, uh, both the Prime and the 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 non behind the paywall. Explain how this works. Like, give us the whole rundown. And I also don't appreciate that Hollinger's pictures in front of yours on the on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Uh, but that's a yeah, separate. Yeah. Well, uh, he's more famous and more important and a better analyst than I am. And, so and let's be honest, like Hollinger is vain as shit. I mean, that guy is such a prima donna. I did have to sell him on the show, and that was you know a key selling point. I will I will admit that. I blame you, and done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, geez. yeah. Well, I think I think we just we we had a really stiff competition to see who could take the worst headshot, and whoever <laughs> took the worst one got to be ahead. So uh, that that's how we decided that he was going to be the first guy on the. Uh, on there yeah uh, you're yeah hollinger's is like it's coming at you like you will listen to my podcast uh, oh, oh mine is terrible too i mean i i've been oh, like wanting to get no, a new one and then the pandemic hit i'm like no nah, this is uh this one that my law firm took uh back when i was a lawyer six years ago it's gonna have to suffice hollinger john's yeah. looking like though if you don't listen to the show he's gonna cut you like uh, one you of the one of the funniest things that i found actually is you know i, I get into it with local fan bases uh, on occasion when they I don't love their young players enough and but I found that once I changed my Twitter avatar from looks like an asshole lawyer pick in a tie to just like the dunked on logo that the, the my negative comments dropped by like <laughs> 75%. That's that's why we don't get a lot of that cuz ours is Slava Medvedenko and everybody we if there's one thing even in these fractured times that we can all agree on Nate it's Slava Medvedenko he brings us all together. He's the great unifier. So so the one thing actually I should probably tell you guys about the most because it, it applies to Lakers fans is Danny LaRue, my partner and I do this NBA cast with NBA League Pass. We actually are like official commentators now every Monday. And our next game is going to be on February 1st for Hawks Lakers. So if you are a Lakers fan who is watching on League Pass, you're not in L.A., uh, check out our commentary on that Hawks Lakers game on February first, seven thirty Eastern, four thirty Pacific. That's uh, probably the number one thing uh, that I can plug that's relevant to this show. Very good. Cool. And then uh, obviously the Dunk Don podcast, Hollinger and Duncan, all that. Uh, Nate Duncan, uh, we really appreciate you doing this. I, I, you do like seven hundred and forty-three of these uh, shows a day. You are an incredibly busy guy, and so we appreciate you uh, making some time for us. Yeah, well, the marginal cost of doing a seven hundred and forty-fourth isn't that high, so I'm, I'm glad to do it. <laughs> Sure. It's still I, nice. I, We're I still gonna gonna thank you. I'm offended it took this long, Nate. Yeah, you got this much free time. I mean, the fuck, man. Like, too good for us. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Mute my microphone. All right, so that was Nate Duncan. Um, great, great podcast. Uh, just uh, really good, as you could tell here. Great, uh, really, just a great NBA. Uh, mind knows the league. Check out the one with Hollinger. It's a really good podcast. Um, I, I I wanted. I thought it'd be kind of fun to go back and look at this one of the criticisms that kind of came up at the beginning of the really quick, just because it, it's just what we do around here. Uh, yeah. Sector, Sector Cruz says uh, on the chat, Slava was my spirit animal. Yes, ours too, Sector. That's right. 
Ours as well. That is, that is our Twitter avatar. Uh, one Slava Medvedenko dunking on. I'm not sure who that is. Looks like is that it's it's a Sacramento. It no, is a Sacramento. No, it's not. It's a Milwaukee Buck. Oh yeah, it, it's a Buck, and I believe that's Dan Gadzreich running, <laughs> oh, running running behind him. No, he's not dunking on. No, no, no. I don't. I don't know who he. Oh, you know who I think that might be. I think I, I need to look it up. That might be Tony Kukoc. Oh, nice get, Slava. I, I'm I'm going to look it up to see if Tony Kukoc ever played on the Bucks. But right. if so, I think that's Kukoc. Um, all right, so that was fun. It is. Sector Cruz says Kukoc. Yes, it is. And so and so does uh, o, Ojoi or yeah. You know, so I think that's Ojo Joe I. Okay. Anyway, doesn't matter. Everybody agrees it's Ku Coach. Yeah, Gadsreach um, and Ku Coach were teammates for in the uh, early 2000s together. So there you go. Bucks of Milwaukee. And it also should be noted that Slava Medvedenko, uh, our cousin Rob, had a stretch where he looked a lot like Slava Medvedenko. Yeah, according much to shorter. But um, there you go. This one of the, the if there's a criticism of the Lakers, and we're gonna this is why I think and we talked about it last night on the podcast, which everybody can download. Um, Atlanta Lakers podcast would encourage everybody to do that. This road trip, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, a Cleveland team that at the very least has been very good defensively when, um, when everybody's been available and hopefully Jr.'s having a terrific season, yeah, uh, they're He's just playing really well, yeah, there's just they, that that team isn't nearly as bad when they're intact as everybody thought. Obviously, uh, Milwaukee on Thursday, I mentioned Philly, I mentioned Boston. If there's a criticism, Andy, of the Lakers to this point, it's that they haven't played anyone, and the teams that they have played haven't really, you know, they haven't done that well. I mean, they, they lost to the Clippers on opening night. They lost to Portland. They lost to, um, you know, they lost to Golden State. Then who's the other team they lost to? They lost four times. Uh, San Antonio. I, San Antonio. I, I, yeah, it was a San Antonio game. Um, and you know, those are the over 500 teams that they've played more or less. I do remember having this conversation last year too. Yes. Um, and it felt more worrisome last year than it did. Last year, it felt like let's, let's, let's talk about this. This is a legitimate thing to talk about. I am less concerned about their record against these teams now than I was last year. Well, I remember, Brian, the specific point where this narrative came to a head, and that was heading into that weekend where they played the Clippers and the Bucks in the same weekend. Yep. That was going to be the big measuring stick, uh, like 72 hours for a Laker team that still had some doubters and still had some people that didn't really believe in in the uh, quality of what we've seen, that really they'd been racking up wins against really bad teams. And guess what they did? They beat the Bucks and the Clippers that weekend pretty convincingly. Right. And, and it's important to remember, too, I think that like, your opinion about these things should change as new evidence comes in. Sure, At the sure. time, the evidence was maybe this is a problem. Maybe they, you know, they have some relative weaknesses, particularly against teams like the Clippers and things like that that, that could be exploited and all that. Now the evidence shows that they are better than all oh, of these also, teams. I mean, look, here's the thing, too. In a, in this, I guess, you know, short of a, this small of a sample size. Mm -hmm. You know, we're only 15 games, 15 games in. in. In a season this weird and disjointed, it's actually really hard to know who the hell's good and who isn't. I thought that was a great point that Nate made. I mean, one of the reasons the Lakers are 11 and four is they've had one guy missing. That's why I think I think the Sixers start is impressive because that roster has been, you know, really, really messed with. Boston's has been really messed with. And so. You know, the Lakers have basically been intact to be able to do this. Now they're not beating up on you know COVID thin teams necessarily. Look, they're four and four against teams five hundred and above, which is not as good as you want it to be. But at the same time, they're seven and zero against teams below five hundred. And as you and I have talked about a lot over the years, that's where you build up your record. That is where right. championship teams build up their record. They beat the crap out of really bad teams, and they don't let those win opportunities slip away it, it doesn't mean that you need to be also 
that you don't need to be really good, I should say, against the best teams in the league as well. I'm just saying, like, the idea of, well, they've only been uh, racking up a lot of wins against sub-500 teams, that's what they're supposed to do. And it's also that's who they've played. And, and, you know, San Antonio, who is better than people expected, um, that was, you know – well, I mean, three, look, games last, with, three games within you know a very tight period. If last that's, night, if that's a seven games. But I'm just saying, if that's a seven game series, if you play it out like that, the Lakers win that in five. Well, but I mean, to, I guess taking this further, one of their four losses is against Golden State last night. Does anybody think from watching that game that Golden State is better than them? Like the answer is no. Golden State may not make the playoffs. Right. Like they're they're not as good as the Lakers. Like. The Lakers took their foot off the gas pretty early in that game and ran into a bad. Put it back, and I say, put it back on, right? But they ran as they've done, and then just played a bad fourth quarter. Right? They ran into a bad combination of they weren't able to rev it up with as much consistency as dominant and dominance as they're used to. Golden State, to their credit, played their asses off that entire game, mm-hmm. and they started hitting shots. Yeah. And the Lakers, very uncharacteristically, started struggling down the stretch of a game. I don't expect this to be it's indicative of a larger problem. And it's not something that we play do in the playoffs. I, the other thing that I thought was interesting about that was the, you know, we asked him, and, you know, you always have to, you know, we'll, we'll tweet stuff out during the show, and, you know, so people are aware of it and all that stuff. And, like, like to give people an idea of things that, that are being said. And like when you talk about weaknesses for the Lakers, you know, it's all relative. And yeah. it's important to keep that in mind that we ask this is not, you know, Nate Duncan or anyone else with the hater aid. Like we asked him the question. That idea that because the West isn't as strong top to bottom, that you could get to the Western Conference finals and not quite be as battle tested as you would want to be, it's a good problem to have. I, do you think it's actually something that could be problematic? If he was like, trying to come up with stuff. I mean, sure. No, no. Asking the question. Absolutely. It's not like Nate was spending a lot of time trying to convince us that the Lakers aren't nearly as good as their record. Paper time. Uh, to that question, it would be it would be something I would be more concerned about if the Lakers hadn't already won a championship with a lot of these same guys. You know what I mean? Like they, right. they're. They are battle tested. They they've won a championship, and they last se- last season they also played under more extraordinary circumstances than any other team in the league. When you take into account what happened in China and Kobe's death and all these different things that specifically happened with the Lakers, you know, on top of the pandemic, on top of the season being uh, stopped. Then being one of two teams that was in the bubble longer than everybody else, that team already went through a lot. So they are already by definition battle tested. Yeah, I, I I made the mistake of looking through like not necessarily our Twitter, but other Twitters. You know, the the you know, Darius Soriano at Forum Blue and Gold and like the the silver screen and roll guys. People really did freak out. And like it's just there, there's I, it, to me, it's just like this is this team is fun. It's a fun team to watch. It's 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 an enjoyable moment where you can kind of wake up, like many of us are hoping to, you know, over the next week, learn to wake up in the morning with less stress. Um, <laughs> like just like kind of lean into that. Like the Lakers, yeah, they're going to lose every sixth game, every seventh game. You know, there there's going to be a night where they lose to you know, a, a, an Eastern conference team, they might lose to the nets when they play them. And it makes you, makes you worry that maybe they won't, they're going to be fine. I'm not saying they're going to win a title, but this is an excellent team. That's going to do very well. And they have a chance to win. The Clippers might beat them, maybe an Eastern conference team beat them, but they're not just going to like crap out of the playoffs. Cause they do something really stupid. Um, I mean, just enjoy it. Like this fun team to watch, get out and enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Well, out. Stay in and enjoy it. Uh, yes, that can't that can't not be said enough. Stay in, gone this far. Let's do this damn thing right and get it over with. Um, yeah, it is. It is serious. I'm not sure if I mean it, it, we'll we'll wrap up here on something a little more lighthearted. But if you if you get a chance, take a look at George Sedano, our our friend uh, from ESPN, our, our our former colleague. 
really serious stuff in his timeline talking about friends of his, uh, a friend of his who is, is very near death with COVID. A reminder uh, that this is serious stuff. Um, but anyway, let's let's end things on a on a happier note. It is our friend uh, Nathan Mark's birthday. Oh yes, uh, Nathan Mark, long uh, long time viewer of the Late Night Happy Hour, subscriber of the Land of Lakers podcast. Probably subscribes I, I, to our YouTube channel, which all of uh, you, I really would be helpful if you did. Yeah, big time participant on our Twitter timeline at Cam Brothers. It's his birthday, so one. Two, three, join us, everybody. Everybody's saying, I mean, you need to be singing at your house. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Speed it up. Happy birthday, dear Nathan Mark. Happy birthday to you. Woohoo. There you go. Now that. Put on a, we can put out a poll who sang it better. <laughs> it was, it was, it's hard it's actually harder to sing in unison over this than you might expect yeah even like a split second delay can be really really awful although probably not as hard as we made it no nope. um all right so tomorrow night tomorrow night's gonna be a great show um if you now look if you want some angst if you're a person who needs you know a sports fan with angst tomorrow night's gonna be your night <laughs> because the rams have plenty of ways they can generate angst for you and we will discuss them all with jordan Rodriguez, show favorite and rich hammond both of them from the athletic uh the the cast of 11 personnel they do fantastic work on that podcast and on the site covering the rams great people great insight coming tomorrow there will also probably be talk about birds we will make sure to leave time for that. But if you have angst about a local team, tomorrow is the night for you. Thursday, we're still kind of getting in pen. Like I we think it'd be a great guest. Uh, hopefully it works for this week. If it doesn't, we'll bump it to next week, maybe or whatever. Friday, Andy Lou and Samus Vendiari, uh, the, the great uh, basketball voices from up in the Bay Area. And uh, all right, we'll see everybody tomorrow. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>